Hello and welcome back to Indie Filmopolis, a podcast dedicated to indie films. My name is Philip Yu, I'm an award-winning writer and director of a bunch of short films and features that I've no doubt you've probably never heard of. Today I'm minus a mic, but I have the addition of a Paul, who's a writer and games designer in his own right, but within our filmmaking collective he's my very own Ted Raimi. Paul Barrow. Hello Paul, thanks for coming. Hello there. <laughs> Thanks for uh, filling in for Mike. Not a problem. So, in this episode, we'll once again be recounting stories from the making of our very own low-budget flick, Homeless Enemy, including the time that I almost killed Paul here through suffocation. Almost doesn't count. Almost doesn't count? No, no, you, you know... Oh, I see, it almost doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's all right, I'll let you off because you only almost okay, killed me. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, I'm certainly glad that you survived. Yeah, I could tell this otherwise. Just true. I might be in prison, so I wouldn't be able to do this either. <laughs> no, I don't usually podcast in prison. <laughs> do they? Yeah. Great. I'll have to bear that in mind. We'll also be having a loving retrospective look at the immeasurably funny, much-loved British comedy Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and a film that I was going to refer to as a modern classic until I realised that it was almost 20 years old. So, in that case... The legitimate classic, and the truly bonkers being John Malkovich. How long does it take for a movie to go... How old has it got to be before you can call it a legitimate classic? Can you have the instant classic? I'm sure you can have an instant classic, yeah. But uh, that was 19 years ago, so it's... Yeah, you can't exactly call it. It's a a classic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We'll also be doing some reviews and some recommendations of films, including The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and... The not so indie film, but the amazingly entertaining Bohemian Rhapsody. Or is it? Okay, (laughs) spoilers, yes, it's great. (laughs) Before we kick things off, as ever, just want to give a quick but massive shout out to our amazing and very, very patient Indiegogo supporters. Uh, Thanks for sticking around. If you found the podcast by other means, big shout out to you too. Thanks for joining us and supporting the podcast. Just before we delve into the murky depths of the making of Unwist Enemy, just want to say, in addition to Almost Enemy, we've got a, a short gory horror film that's currently doing the uh, festival circuit at the moment called Conditioning, uh, and I'm happy to announce that recently it won the Best Horror Thriller Award at the Lakeview Film Festival in India. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. And congratulations to everyone involved. Um, it might come to a town near you. Check it out. We'll keep you updated on here about where it might or might not be screening. But that's also a film that I hope that uh, we'll be able to talk about in great length in a future podcast. But for now, let's jump back into Almost Enemy. Paul, to prevent me from gabbing on anymore, drag you into the conversation, <laughs> how would you describe Almost Enemy? i describe Almost Enemy as like a really original... Ooh, I like that. Uh, it's just... I don't know how you came up with the idea for this movie. Uh, I, was, I remember reading the script... You know, just humble brag. I read it before it before it was cool. <laughs> um, I, I I remember reading the script and at the start you're kind of like I was kind of like okay okay I kind of get and then it just kind of veers off mm-hmm. and goes to places that you, you don't expect. It's funny. It's charming. It's um, completely off the wall at play in places. That's great. Uh, I think we'll have you back every week. <laughs> yeah, just just cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Copy and paste, Copy it, and paste it into each one. So, like you said, you you had you did read it way way in the beginning, and we talked before about 
the fact that very much into giving people drafts of scripts and films before they're finished because I think it's it, know, it's important. the only way to fly. Yeah, really. Like you, and you're one of those people who I can count on to give me honest feedback because you know yeah, a, lot, you can. A, lot, a lot of a lot of time you know you give stuff to people and they're, they're oh, this is great I love to, it yeah, what yeah. was it about and... but the, I mean the worst thing is when people just blow smoke up your ass yeah, and yeah. They don't oh it's brilliant, you... it's brilliant. <laughs> what have we listened to lately um, Pink Floyd uh, Wish You Were Here mm-hmm. and like that's all about the record industry and like managers being like oh, I love you guys oh by the way which one's pink yeah it's like, uh... <laughs> so when you read it you, you mentioned what you liked about it book what were your initial thoughts were you like don't well, coming off of um, one minute, yeah, yeah, I, because I, you had a few more ideas, and I, I kind of discouraged them, because they were they were also frameworks in which to do short. This is all my fault, basically, is what I'm saying, because I was like, you need to do something longer form, because yeah. I think you can do that, and you've got a good you've got a good mind, and you've you've made how many movies, even, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think I encouraged you to make something longer form, and then when you presented that to me, I was like. Okay, wow, here we go. Yeah, okay. Cool. So, if you want to kill anyone at the end of this process... No, 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 that's good. I mean, I Not that you of... didn't try and kill me during this process, but... <laughs> yeah, more <laughs> on that later. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd kind of forgotten about that. Do you remember the, like, the, the uh, those ideas are coming screaming back to me now? Do you remember them? I remember there was, there was one about a couple of people getting stuck in an anthology movie that they were watching, I think. Oh, yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I remember thinking, I was reading, I was, I, you were telling me about it. It was a horror movie. Yeah. And it, yeah, I completely thought, maybe we should, it was, it was a decent idea. It was a decent idea, but, but I, yeah. I felt at the time it was very similar to yeah, what yeah. you'd done before. Mm-hmm. And um, I basically pushed you into this, so. No, thanks, thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, I do remember. And then the other one that I remember people trying to discourage me from, which at the time I was like, why? <laughs> it was, I don't know if you remember this. But I wanted to make a, a sci-fi film on a green screen with, <laughs> and not put in any special effects. Yeah, that's hell. <laughs> yeah, why, why would you do that? And then what happened was, um, this is how long ago that was. Do you know the band OK Go? Although, if that's a hit, then you can get fans to fan it in your special effects. That's that's a good idea. Oh no, now you, now you bring me back to See, it. now we've got to edit that out so you can release it. and then. <laughs> but um, OK Go did it did that for one of their music videos it was like all all green screen they just didn't bother to put in the effects they just kind of were making fun of that process and so it was kind of like okay yeah it works as a uh, yeah it works as a, as, music a three, video. as a two or three minute thing but if, I, if an entire <laughs> film about I'd be like no no I've seen the you know the making of Star Wars episode one I yeah. don't need to see another movie <laughs> well, also another thing that came out was um, really a really great special feature on the Sin City special edition DVD is he released the version of the film without any of the special effects on it, which was cool. interesting yeah. and cool. Mm-hmm. But again, if it didn't have it the did. completed movie yeah. to compare it to, you'd be like, so it did it's co- like watching. Um, don't ever do this. I once saw a work print of the first Wolverine movie Origins, oh, yeah. yeah, and like it was fascinating. And luckily, that movie was garbage anyway. <laughs> But I remember seeing the cinema and being like, it's kind of lost a lot of its impact, having seen like Hugh Jackman flying around on, on wires beforehand right. and stuff like that. So like That's that's cool though. It's cool, but like it's not the way you want to experience a narrative, for mm-hmm. example. 
So you're taking full responsibility for almost anything with any sense? No, 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 no. <clears throat> I, I came up with no ideas for it. I, I, I'm basically saying you had some other ideas. The science fiction one, now that you've mentioned it, I remember being like, that'd be funny to see but if you put serious amounts of time mm-hmm. into it like there's no I, I, I don't regret not doing that <laughs> um, and the anthology one I was like it's fine but it's another anthology yeah. of things where you already made mm-hmm. a massive anthology of things which is great by the way uh, one minute this is great uh, <laughs> just in case you're wondering what, it's not that I hate anthology movies it's just okay so you, you brought up one minute so one minute we touched on before but it was a series of one minute films in different genres and had a bunch of recurring actors in it and one of the people who were constantly threw in front of the camera was Paul we're basically old school friends yeah Yeah. anytime you need a prat <laughs> and you think an actor won't do this you get me to do it so what roles did you have in one minute I've played a corpse mm-hmm. I've played a mummy I played a homeless person I played <laughs> a, dr- a drunk homeless a person a drunk yeah I played a drunk I got to do the I got to do the the fall backwards if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I played a guy getting pied in the face. Uh-huh. But my, my life's ambition at the moment <laughs> is to get a line in one of your movies. Maybe one day. <laughs> no, that's a no. <laughs> that pause. Like, no, Paul. We'll, we'll build up. Yeah. We've gone through all the the um, the variations of dead bodies and living yeah, dead. Yeah, I've been mm-hmm. every kind of. You wrapped me in toilet paper. That was one. It was. That was for the mummy. It was. It was it was, gauze? Um, yeah, very cheap. It was like the, the sort of stuff you put around for painting. Okay. Like the cheap dust sheets, and we just cut it up. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, felt like toilet paper. Yeah, I'm sure it did. <laughs> and we we, um, we covered you in double sided tape. Yeah, yeah. I think gave you some old clothes. Covered you in double sided tape, and then yeah, wrapped. You- Wrapped you in this um, like dust sheet that we chopped into. In, in fairness to you, you didn't um... <laughs> to your skin. I still remember the first take on and the mummy. I think the mummy was the first thing I did for yeah. uh, one minutes. I was gonna. I was walking up behind. If you if you see the the short, I, I walk up behind someone, and they scream. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "It's a silent movie." Yeah. Just, but of course, they have to attract the attention yes. of the other people uh-huh. behind. So. She actually screamed. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it, so I jumped and I was like, well, that's that ruined. No, no, it was great. I mean, that was the thing. That one took so long to set up. I'm trying to, trying to set the scene here. It was a three-walled set in a theatre yeah. that we'd done. And along the wall, and this was for a black and, a pastiche of a black-and-white silent horror film. So it could look a bit dodgy. So yeah. we'd um, mark chalk along the this set. Hey, it works, man. It works really well. So. Um, for bricks. And so that took forever. And then we had this, um, the stuff that they used to decorate for Halloween for webs. Yeah. But it wasn't sort of like a practical thing for film because it was so tough that people couldn't get through it. And they, the actors <clears throat> in the scene were complaining that it, the, the webs that I put up were just too tough to to walk through. Oops. And because it took so long to set up and, and the webs were so long to, to, to put up and it took them forever to get through them, we only did one take of each pass down the the corridors and so we'd spent literally hours putting the set together and getting you wrapped up and everything and then we filmed the whole thing in literally about 10 minutes yeah. and everyone was kind of like oh is that it <clears throat> it was the quickest shoot we'd ever done and the the f- least amount of takes and it was an amazing film to edit see you hire me you get the least <laughs> amount of takes you've ever had to do not that i did anything but i i, I seem to remember everyone being a bit pissed off that 
that they were waiting around forever. These, these proper actors, and they've got. That's it, though, isn't it? They got Acting ten minutes. Was apparently waiting around. To... Yeah, and they get ten minutes of action. But there you go. So, almost enemy is no different. We needed. I don't want to give too much away, but there's there's pictures anyway online yeah. of you wrapped up head to toe in videotape. Which yeah. we won't we won't talk about the whys, but I I remember I got thermal yes thermal clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, which was very effective. Mm-hmm. So it was, we needed a complete kind of black, uh, and the costume, we had a costume design in the beginning, and she wanted to give you a morph suit. It wouldn't have been so hot. But the reason I said no was because I thought you'd be trapped in that morph suit once the tape was on. I thought, like, if you want to take the mask off, or you want to go for a piss or something. Mm-hmm. So the alternative was to get these black thermals, which in theory was a good idea. Yeah. So we had a balaclava, Black thermal leggings and a top, long sleeve top, gloves yeah. and socks, and then the makeup artists again. I think wrapped you in double sided tape. Yeah, and then started wrapping these old videotapes around you. Which it's it's being wrapped up, having done it twice now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a weird experience because you feel like you want to help, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can't. You've got to just kind of stand there with yeah. your arms out, and and then you're like you. Oh, I felt so lazy, and it's like it was. It was very strange. Um, but that took a while. Yeah, well. it did. It really, uh, I was just like these old tapes. Oh, I really like that film. Oh. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because we were smashing the videos. So that this there was hundreds of videos on the set. It's part of the set decoration. So we were just taking those and smashing them and wrapping them around Paul. Yeah. And then he had like a few of the reels hanging off your yeah. arms and stuff. Looked really cool. Looked awesome. But yeah, the the reality was he was wrapped in black thermals with a layer of videotapes on top of him. He was yeah. completely covered, balaclava gloves, <laughs> top yeah. top bottom socks, and then so that must have taken a couple of hours, I'd imagine. Yeah. Then got you under the lights to do your your bits. Yeah. Which we won't explain, but so you did your thing, and then because you. You're the sort of person that never complains about anything. So, like, if I ask you, are you all right? You'd just say yes anyway, whether you would die or not. And so, like, we're doing take after take after take. The weird thing. thing is, I felt fine yeah. until it started to come off. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the cold air hit me, yeah. I realised how hot I was. Uh-huh. <laughs> so once we got got to the end and um, we pulled your mask off, I think, and then like we saw that you were literally red in the like beetroot red and you were dripping with sweat and like people were touching you like oh my god how wet are you like you were just so and so everybody was just like ripping the the videotape off you trying to get your clothes off you like if i remember correctly you were like you could take a shower and i'm like i can't because i, I I've, because i've got a disability i can't stand up on right. a shower and you're like you can take a shower and i went and i thought i'll take a look in the shower mm-hmm. you already filmed in there yes <laughs> and I was like, not only did I fall over, there were tea bags everywhere. I think or something. There was there was tea bags that that there might have been at that time um, some very discoloured underwear. Oh, yeah, that, I was put, like, that put a lot of people off. Uh, the glamours of movie making. <laughs> um, but you you were very worried about me. The oh, I was extremely worried the about thing, The thing that I remember was once you started taping me up mm-hmm. you said I've got no idea what the chemicals on these things yeah. are going to do to you if mm-hmm. you feel faint let me know <laughs> and I'm like it didn't occur to me until they started wrapping it around your face it's like oh that's going to be right under his nose and he's going to be breathing that that in um, no it was it was an experience it always is an experience working for you um, 
<laughs> a good one. Or? No, he, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is good. Um, but I think it's. I think that was. It's so unusual. Mm-hmm. I mean, those pictures. Those, <laughs> Just pi- this. those pictures are on my Facebook, and it's all. Yeah. What the hell are you doing there? <laughs> um, actually, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an independent film, actually. <laughs> and then they're like, "What are you wrapped up in?" And it's just like, I could, I could explain, but it won't. What? Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't realize how warm I was until it started coming off. And as soon as the cold air hit me, and I was like, I. Um, I'm sweating a lot. Yeah. And my, my thing was, you worried about me. I was worried about like people being like that guy stinks. <laughs> I was really worried people were going like that guy really smells like <laughs> like I was unclean and stuff. Yeah. I think I think everybody was worried about you. <clears throat> I remember like people like people rushing like sugary biscuits into your mouth and getting you drinks and stuff. And I just thought people were being nice. I didn't realize it was like a, a medical thing. <laughs> the, there's a picture of me. And you sat uh, with Laura, and she's showing you the footage back, and I'm kind of like, I've got a really fake smile on my face. God, thank God, he's alive. <laughs> no, I, I was like I said, I I would if I'd have felt faint, I would have been like, I need to, I I'm gonna tell you because otherwise, if something happens, mm-hmm. then you're gonna feel bad about it. I felt fine all the way through it until it started to come off, and the moment the cold air hit me, I'm like, oh, actually, I'm really warm, yeah, like really warm, because <laughs> I I didn't. I thought oh, the thermal was fine. Mm-hmm. I feel a bit exposed actually. Like I didn't feel right. like padded out or anything. And then I didn't realise how effective it was until it came off. I really didn't. Um. So yeah, I'm constantly texting you, make sure you got home. Yeah, did you right. get home? No, I should be like, no, I passed out in the bus. <laughs> I didn't realise. Like I knew you were worried, but I was just like, oh, it'll be fine. Feel it'll be fine. But yeah, don't, um, I've got no idea what these chemicals will do to you. Could have wrapped to your heart, like you're handing it for a day and saw what happened to yeah, yeah. I was worried like rashes everywhere. Yeah. And like, oh well, I'll just stay at home for a bit, I guess. <laughs> Thankfully, you survived. It came out the other end. And I'm a better person for it. <laughs> I like to think so. So it lets me say that I, I, I've been an actor on several independent films, this which, is, true. which is quite impressive mm-hmm. on dates. <laughs> <laughs> Anything I've seen? No, no, they're far too niche. Far too niche, yeah. Yeah, that's how I describe all of them. No, no, no. Niche doesn't mean bad. No, no, yeah. It um, just makes me seem elitist. It's and... <laughs> probably why I never got many certain dates. <laughs> so, there's a film we did a few years ago, a short film. Like, after um, we did One Minute, which was a collection of films, it was a good experience in a way, um, because the actors really liked having like a, a solid chunk that they could put on their showreel that was yeah. a minute. And it was self-contained, rather than like a random scene that didn't kind of make any sense. So, when we were, this is kind of like my over-ambition all the time, when we were, we'd finished filming Almost Enemy and we were in post started post-production, I thought what would be really cool is if um, we brought One Minute's back as a web series. I remember. And I thought, you know what, we could probably do I one th- a month. I think, you thought you could do yes. one a month, I didn't remember that. Yep. Yep. I think that may have, you saying you were going to do one minute's web series, I was, I was cool with. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that may have been why I was like, no, no, don't keep doing yeah. short anthology things if you're going to continue one minute's as a month. Mm-hmm. I think that may have been where I... Oh, no, no, because th- this was after we'd done one minute. Oh, sorry, Almost Enemy. <clears throat> oh, this is after... So, so we'd filmed Almost Enemy, and I thought to sort of in the build up I could probably do one, a one minute film every month how are you finding that 
well, we've done three in the last five years. So yeah, it's going really well. But anyway, the first of which was called Speed of the Living Dead, which was a parody on zombie movies. It's done super well. It's done a whole bunch of um, film festivals last year. And the pinnacle of um, the success, if you like, was the fact that uh, Hammer, the horror studio, the famous horror studio... You have to explain who Hammer is. (laughs) I think people will know. Yeah, exactly. Um, Hammer, done. (laughs) Hammer Studios. Um, They picked it up for their YouTube channel. So you can view it via Hammer's YouTube channel. channel. If you search Speed of the Living Dead... It should come up, but if you have, if it doesn't come up as the first result, just type in Hammer, it'll be there. And you can watch that one-minute film. And anyway, the part of the reason I brought that up is because Paul was in that as a zombie. Yeah. You made good use of my walking ability uh-huh. in that, actually. It was the role I was born to play. So, what, have you got cerebral palsy? Yeah. So, your walk's brilliant for the zombies <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and the living dead and everything. So, um we were asking around our friends for people to come and be zombies and stuff. Yeah. And so we've got you and Joe to do the two main zombies. And I was expecting maybe one or two other people to be the zombie horde. Oh, you were expecting only one or two? Yeah. And then we ended up with about a dozen people, which was awesome. Yeah, I was going to say. Because I'm not a performer. I don't like being on camera, but I appreciate the fact that people love it. So when these people turn up and they loved doing it, it, was, it doesn't feel like a... An imposition to people. To, I um, loved doing doing that because the makeup on that was awesome, yeah. and I was just like, "Brilliant, great, yeah." And so we we, we had um, two people doing the, the zombie makeup, which was kind of like a sort of a, a um, conveyor belt. Yeah, sort it was, of it was a, like, a construction. Yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Um, Move to the left to get your eye done. Yeah, yeah, pretty much that kind of thing. Um, and it was brilliant. And just people were so into it and just loved getting messy and I, fucked up. I remember it was around the time those no make, no makeup selfies were on um, <laughs> Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So um, the girl I was with at the time, mm-hmm. um, she thought I'd fell over and severely battered myself as soon as I uploaded it onto Facebook. And I was like, no, no, it's my, it's my no makeup selfie. What are you talking about? <laughs> that didn't go down uh, too well, but I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that's again. That's on my face. Like every every time I'm I'm filming for you, I'm always like, yeah, I look an idiot in this. I'll just put that in there. And but you but you were with a group of people. Oh, yeah, this yeah, time. yeah, yeah, you yeah. Were, you were I wasn't, isolated. I wasn't the solo idiot. Yeah. <laughs> not that not that anybody there was idiots. I'm just. <laughs> but yeah, everyone was up for it. But anyway, yeah, you you brought. It, I don't know if you brought it up while we were recording or just before. But um, yeah, there was a bit that we we cut. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, uh, yeah. Um. Like I said earlier, this is the role I was born to play, and at one point you needed someone to fall. Yeah, so there's a zombie well, you, horde. You asked if someone would, yeah. would fall, and I thought, well, I fall all the time. Well, not <laughs> not so much anymore, but I, I'm, I'm usually a pretty good pretty good at falling. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I was like, I felt really bad because I was like, I'll fall, I'll fall. And then just as you were about to yell, like, okay, actually, I was like, actually, my phone's in my pocket. Get to my phone. <laughs> Can somebody please take my phone off me because I'm going to break it. Um... So you had to come running over, and I was—I was, could just imagine like bloody idiot, like <laughs> right. So um, walking along, and I thought the fall that I the, we did two takes where yeah. I fell, and the first one I thought went really well, mm-hmm. like really well. It hurt like heck. <laughs> See, he didn't just fall; he proper face planted. Oh yeah, you got to go for it. Onto it was like on a concrete street. We just. 
fell flat on his face. Well, that could happen. And it looked awesome. It, it couldn't happen. It could have happened anyway. You know mm. what I mean? I could have tripped over my own foot. Yeah. So I thought, if I'm going to go for it, I'm going to go for it. And I fell, and I thought, well, what? Zombie, okay. Mm. Drag yourself. So I yeah, drag myself it, along. Ruined my boots, by the way. I had to send them back to the hospital <laughs> to get those repaired. <laughs> How do you do this? Um... <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. um, which um, which was which was fun, and then it was okay. Can we do a second one? I was like, okay, and the second one, I I was too worried because my hands went out first, mm-hmm. and it looked like I was trying to protect myself, and it really hurt my wrists. So I was like, I can't do a third. I can't do a third. Okay, and I was like, okay, at least we got that that fall. Probably looked pretty good that yeah, first yeah. fall. Not in the film. Sorry, Paul. It's all right. It's okay. Um, I'll put it on. Oh, I need to. Did you should. Need stuntman wages or anything? I should create you a showreel. <laughs> That's if you me messing up constantly, surely. I'll put. I'll put that that fall on there. I can't remember why it didn't make it. It must what? have just been. I think because it was a one-minute film. Yeah, it's too. And long. when when you condense everything, you just need kind of like moments, and it was just too long of a yeah, moment. Don't get me. Like, <laughs> as much as I'm pulling your leg over it, like you know, I understand yeah. these things, but. Uh, yeah, if you create me a showreel, the Benny Hill thing. I'll put it on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we probably should have done a longer version of it, but it worked at a minute. Yeah, so. it did. It's a good, it's a good, it's one of my favourite things that you've done. Oh, nice. Okay. So. I wasn't sure whether it worked, to be honest, because I was like, does this work as a joke? Does it, does it come across? Or I, it's I like know. the horror version of Droopy. What the hell is that? You know Droopy, the, the cartoon dog? No, I know Snoopy. No, Droopy, um, he's, I think it's from Warner Brothers. And basically, the whole thing with Droopy is like, hello, like he's like really dour. Mm-hmm. Um, and will you be my friend? Like, he's constantly after wanting to be his friend. Yeah. And whoever is with him is just constantly trying to get away. And they do that whole gag where they're like, they run away, they get in the plane, they, they fly to another country, they open the door, and he's there like, hello. <laughs> and that's the end. It's like, this reminded me of that, mm-hmm. but Droopy was going to eat you. <laughs> I thought it was br- I thought it was genius. Before we go off and start talking about other things, in terms of where we're at with Elmer's Enemy, as ever, it's it's there, thereabouts. It's just yeah. a literally case of um, doing bits and pieces. And so we've tentatively arranged a screening for the crew at the end of January for kind of feedback. Um, for, we, last, last minute, <laughs> for last minute, for last minute changes and input before everything's kind of committed so we're getting there slowly slowly um and it's looking great but it's it's done it's, it's done straight it's, oh, yeah yeah it's, it it's so, so frustrating it's kind of it's there before we carry on what are you up to um i'm constantly writing mm-hmm. or at least coming up with ideas for writings and then writing a few thousand words and be like i've got another idea i'm, yeah. I'm at the moment i'm i'm trying to get written a series of radio plays that I nice. want to release as a podcast yeah. sort of a sort of a Twilight Zone style thing mm-hmm. um, thinking about getting six of them done uh, taking releasing one a month and cool. in between them uh, making the next one the next mm-hmm. month and seeing how that goes the, 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 I've always been fascinated with her because I listen to a lot of you know I listen to The Goon Show I listen to like a lot of radio stuff mm-hmm. when I was growing up and I always find that stuff really fascinating and my the problem with like any film scripts that I try and write yeah. it's always like and they're on top of 50,000 like <sighs> yeah. foot skyscraper mm-hmm. and I'm like 
I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I can't do this. Do the Los Angeles Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm really thinking that um, that these radio these radio plays yeah. are. I'm so familiar with the format, mm-hmm. and I've got so many not short ideas, yeah. but sort of smaller ideas mm-hmm. that I really think can work. Amazing. So the, when's the first episode going to be out? Oh, February next year. Let's say. April. Let's put a date on it. April, April, April next year. April, but April, I'm hoping I can have an episode. An out. episode. And so, what do you need? You need actors. Um. Yeah, I need basically people that are good with their voice. People, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm probably going to try and be a voice in it nice. because I love putting on silly voices. Yeah. Which you'd know if you gave me a line. <laughs> well, maybe this will be your uh, audition. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, After all these episodes, oh, damn. I should have put Paul in Elmwest. Um, hey, I was in Elmwest in that day. No, no, no. As, as the main character. I nearly died for Elmwest enemy. No, um, as the main character. Don't say that. Your usual co-host is going to be spitting... To be brutally honest, I'll probably be contacting you and being like, so, do you know anyone who would... Of course, well, you've always got my help. But <clears throat> for people out there who are actors or have other means to help you, how can they get in touch with you? At the moment, it's just be through email. Which uh, is? pmbarrow5 at gmail.com. Okay, awesome. I cursed the previous four PM Barrows who got there before me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you on Twitter? Uh, at pmbarrow. What's the, the what's the best way to get in The best way would be uh, actually Twitter would be pretty good yeah. considering I don't act, I don't use I don't post on Twitter that much but mm. if if somebody messages me on Twitter it'd be one of the first things that I I so there's uh, no I point check. following you. It took but it, it, it took me forever get... to realize I've been hacked. Okay. It took me like 2 years to realize <laughs> somebody was putting very risque photos of themselves up on my account. No, it's like I don't know. <laughs> and I was like ah oh, sorry I've been hacked like <laughs> It's like, oh, you're trying... It was one of the... You know the kind of thing. Yeah. If you want to date with me, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, how long has this been going on? I was scrolling back like, oh, my God. Why have none of my friends told me? Well, there you go. So if you want a date with Paul or want to get... In t- <laughs> <laughs> Too wanna, late, I'm taken. If you want to get in touch about collaborating in one way or another on his um, upcoming I haven't even podcast. Com- I haven't even come up with a name for the, for yes, the whole... The uh, Barrow side. <laughs> Barrow. Don't get... The the untitled Paul Bearer project is what it's called at the minute. Yeah, <laughs> that'll do. <laughs> so we talk a lot about indie films, and when Paul agreed to be on the podcast, I asked him for some suggestions of films. Yeah, you did. That uh, we could talk about, um, both of which I was super pleased. He suggested the first of which is Monty Python and the Holy Grail, written by all six Pythons and directed by the two Terriers. Gilliam and Jones, the film was made for just £200,000, taking investment from musicians and bands like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin who were looking for a way to write off a bit of tax. Released in 1975, the film today is still held in high regard and it's obvious to see why. The film has a whopping 97% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 95% audience score. So Paul, why did you want to revisit this film? Because it's the funniest film ever made. Yeah. Okay. It's that That's simple. fair enough. That's fair um, enough. There is a story about John Cleese losing his temper with some of the production people mm-hmm. because they couldn't get some of the fog to look right and they'd spent like an hour trying to get this fog. Yeah. And he just turned around and went, Is the fog funny? Mm-hmm. But th- this was, wasn't the production guys, it was at Jones and Gilliam. Oh, was it? Yeah. I see, I've, I've misheard that. No, 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 no. The story well, then. 
He's the fog funny. Yeah, he was saying that they were just faffing around all the time, <laughs> trying yeah. to get the fog right. But I think, to to be honest, while I agree with him somewhat, I think it is the the details like the fog and the grime and the muck and everything that set it apart and oh yeah, don't, give you, it don't that, get me wrong, it helps. It helps, but that script just dances. I mean, my favourite joke on it is ridiculous because of how the first time I saw it, um, um, my grandmother's reaction when I was mm-hmm. watching it. Uh, the Bridge of Death. Yeah. And halfway along the Bridge of Death, mm-hmm. there's an intermission. Yeah. And I burst out laughing for a solid four minutes. Mm-hmm. I had to stop the film. And then I was like, what's so funny? There used to be intermissions all yeah. the time. And I'm like... And she couldn't understand why I found it. I was like, mm-hmm. not at the most tense and dramatic moment of the movie <laughs> do you suddenly pop up intermission. Particularly you ten know. minutes towards the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't do that. And she was like, oh. And I'm like, she couldn't understand. I nearly wet myself. Yeah. That's my favourite tiny joke in it. Mm-hmm. But there's a, you can take any any scene from that and there's a, it's an instantly quotable film. Mm-hmm. Considering how little it was made for, mm-hmm. the talent involved, even the, the ending, which to me is its weakest point, where they blatantly must have just gone, I've got no idea how to end this. Yeah. Let's have the police turn up. But they do at least sort of weave that in. But it, yeah, <laughs> but it fits with the rest yeah. of what's going mm-hmm. on. Um. So the thing that sort of always feels curious to me is how did these six guys make a series of great films, British films, with British humour, that translated across the world, but no one else has seemed to been able to do that since it just hasn't carried. No, Look, well, I haven't seen it, but. Or like think of things like um, the Keith Lemon movie or Mrs. Brown the movie or whatever. But but that's not comedy. <laughs> so but why? Okay, so why is there a a, a problem with the, the quality of comedy in general, regardless of because the comedy we have now is safe. Yeah, it's designed to it's designed to be disposable. Mm-hmm. It's designed to not make you think. Here's a catchphrase or two. Yeah. And let's slap that on a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. But nobody wants to go and take risks. Mm-hmm. And the people that do want to take risks, risky comedians like um, today, mm-hmm. they're like Frankie Boyle. Yeah. Um, they're, they're offensive. They like do the Roy Chubby Brown version mm-hmm. of comedy where it's like, I'm going to swear. I'm going to get a laugh. And shock comedy works. Yeah, it does. It is. It is funny, but it does so, lose its. But why isn't it translating into films? Because those guys, if you think about all they've achieved, the six guys, individually, I mean, Gilliam's gone and had a, you know, not necessarily a great successful career in terms of box office results. But he's made what he wants to make. He has, and Terry Jones, the same. Michael Palin's had a great career as an actor, same as John Cleese. They've all gone on and done great things. I'm wondering if it's the environment in which they were allowed to make the TV show in the first That's place. That's exactly it. I mean, it's the BBC back in the day. Yeah. Um, there's a great thing about... Uh, I read about Only Fools and Horses, mm-hmm. one of the nation's best little comedies. They, The first series was a bomb. Yeah. Nobody nobody watched it. It was only because the BBC usually get let you have two series. Mm-hmm. They let you have your first series and your second series. And after that, then they decide. Nowadays, if something isn't a success in three weeks, it's done. Mm-hmm. These days, you can't develop. You are either a smash... Mm-hmm. Or you are gone. I do think that the way that the BBC set up is a massive part of it as well. Because if I was you're talking about catchphrases, I'm thinking about 
Little Britain. Yeah, that's, that's the first thing I thought of. Which was great when it first started, and it did become a catchphrase show. But the reason that happened was not necessarily because that's what they tried to drive. It was because they'd write a sketch. And the producers would say, OK, well, we need to find this location in these costumes. Can you write three more sketches with these cost- with these characters for this location? And they'd be like, uh, OK. Yeah. Then you're, kind of, you're boxing and you're having to think of stuff. And so they just ended up reusing the same joke over and over again, rather than having to go with, like, the Pythons. Like, I'm not aware that there's recurring characters. I mean, there might be, but there certainly wasn't each show you, you tune in and you have, you have this that sketch, character, this character sketch, yeah. so on and so on and so on. So I think they probably were allowed to be more creative and out of the box and yeah. not kind of um, it wasn't drummed into them that you know this was how you, you make comedy. Yeah. It has to be this thing over and over yeah. again because of budgets. I mean budgets for comedies used to be huge. Mm-hmm. The two runnings must have had a massive budget for half the stuff they did. Morecambe and Wise. Yeah. Massive budgets for their Christmas specials. And nowadays it's not. It's just a thing you put on. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the problem with thousands of channels and disposable yeah. content. Yeah. Then the closest thing that I could think at the moment of people coming from comedy TV in Britain was um, Peg and uh, Edgar Wright. Yeah. Um, doing Shaun of the Dead and very British films, uh, Hot Fuzz and that kind of thing. But again, they came from Channel Four, which was at that time in the the early noughties and late nineties that was more of a I guess the BBC was like in the seventies it was more of a breeding ground for, for comedy let's and go, yeah let's try let's and go being experimental yeah. and like you said absurdist which space certainly was yeah so yeah I certainly think one of the enduring qualities of all of the Python's films is the realistic locations and stuff yeah. even though like you said Cleese was got angry about the smoke and stuff but I, I do think that's an important element that's made them enduring films as films oh yeah like don't get me wrong like it does look real I mean they're in knitted armour it's knitted yes, armour yeah, right? yeah. but it works because they are mm-hmm. in a field somewhere covering mock yeah it works because, and that makes it funnier mm-hmm. and it was horrible for them they hated they hated filming it because they were filmed in Scotland like you said it was knitted armour it must be freezing it, it rained all the time like it does in Britain particularly in Scotland so they were soaked in costumes that just wouldn't dry (laughs) but you know out of misery comes genius (laughs) genius yeah so you talked about your favourite scene being on the bridge any other moments no no, it's not not my favourite it's my favourite singular joke okay any moments that stick out then Uh, other than that moments that stick out I know it's an impossible question but yeah moments that stick out of that is um Again, it's the bridge, the bridge of death. Where mm-hmm. it's like, what's your favourite colour? Red. No, blue. Ah, like, yeah. Indecisiveness causes mm-hmm. death. Um, the Black Knight is the first. That, that was the advert on the Comedy Central channel back when they used. That was in the. That's where I first mm-hmm. saw any Python. Okay. Uh, was the guy getting his arms chopped mm-hmm. off and being like, "It's a scratch." Yeah. I'll have you. Tis but a scratch. I'll have to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> it's just ludicrous. I mm-hmm. mean, the coconuts. The co- that. I'm glad you brought that up. To me, that's the the quintessential low budget filmmaking that is made story. Out of yeah, you can't afford horses. What can you do? Okay, well let's <laughs> write a whole series of jokes around the aid having coconuts pretending to be a horse. Brilliant, genius. Yeah, because yeah. they could have just been like, let's not have horses, then they'll walk around. Yeah, but the, and the, it wouldn't have infected, wouldn't have affected the quote unquote plot. 
<laughs> the plot of that movie is what yeah we walk around some silly stuff happens yeah like, like you can't ask me my favourites because it's just I want to quote the entire film well um, let's go for it <laughs> <laughs> um, what, when I rewatched it what surprised me was how much I laughed at scenes that I'd forgotten and scenes that I know that I'd pissed myself laughing at before when I was anticipating them I was like okay that was quite funny but it wasn't killing yeah. me and then other scenes I'd completely forgotten about or didn't remember to be particularly funny were the ones that killed me yeah. and I think it's probably one of those films that where you get a different experience each time and the, this time around the one that killed me which I didn't remember being particularly funny last time was John Cleese's Lancelot running to rescue yeah, Terry Jones. It goes and on he's forever. Going on and on. And then he's, <laughs> he's no. constantly stabbing one of the guards and he runs in and then the other guard just leaning against the the the, uh, the doorway and he turns around, Hey <laughs> And that it's yeah. not even a it's not even a line, it's just no. one word not even said by one of the Pythons, but yeah. that, that just killed me. Yeah. Life of Brian always tends to come above Holy Grail. I see to me, I, I love Life of Brian mm-hmm. for its bravery, mm-hmm. the brave film to do, yeah. because it it says a lot about religion. And mm-hmm. That's really smart. And then you've got silly things like the the alien, yeah, yeah. where enough that come mm-hmm. from, or biggest dickus, yeah. or and it definitely has a bigger breadth of comedy yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is a smart, but Holy Grail to me is just more quotable. Yeah, I just in general, I think it's. Possibly just a, it's, it's hard to wait up, but I'd say I can certainly agree with you either way. If I was going to sit down and watch one of them, it would be Holy Grail. Yeah, for yeah, sure. That's, that's yeah. it. I mean, I love Life of Brian. Mm-hmm. I, I even like um, Meaning of Life. Yeah, and... same, same. Actually, I know that's not as regarded as quite as well as the well, other the one two. That isn't regarded really is, is an absolute completely different, which is mm-hmm. a series of their sketches. Yeah, the first film they did was a a remake of their sketches and they're, yeah. they're terrible remakes you might as well just watch the original version yeah, of the sketches but like, you can still watch that and think, think it's funny kind of, it frustrates me because I just think why bother yeah. when you the original versions of those sketches are so funny so much more funny than what happens in that movie it's really frustrating but yeah the meaning of life I <clears throat> I rate that as well I really like that yeah um, some great songs in that mm-hmm. so anyway final thoughts it's the funniest film I've made it's just these mm-hmm a perfect choice, I'd say. Um, it's good to get a uh, little British film in there now and again as well. So anyway, moving on. The other film that you suggested, another one I was glad that you did, being John Malkovich. 1999, one of the most notable and innovative music video directors of the 90s and an unknown sitcom writer joined forces to deliver both their respective movie debuts as writer and director. Made for a modest $30 million, the highly original and truly bonkers Bing John Malkovich launched them both to instant notoriety and earned both director Spike Jones and writer Charlie Kaufman Oscar nominations. Almost 20 years later, and despite a cavalcade of imitators and living in the peak of meta, I'd argue that the film was as funny and fresh as it was back in 1999. But Paul, why did you want to revisit it? I wanted to revisit it because I remember, I remember thinking this is an American doing something zany yeah. and, and work it and bonkers and, and mm-hmm. working and being really impressed with it mm-hmm. and like you said 1999 you know it's a big year for movies yeah yeah we're going to mention that one one of the greatest independent one of the most expensive independent films ever made anyway uh, no <laughs> and I just I, remember, I can't remember when I saw it but I, I, I only saw it once mm-hmm. I saw it once 
was pretty blown away by it because I didn't think American humor would would do that. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted. To, I was like, I'm. I'll recommend that. I'll give mm-hmm. me an excuse to go back and watch that. Yeah. Um, and I found it really hard going. Mm-hmm. Really hard going, because the conceit of the movie is that the main character finds a hole. Yeah. And when you get down that hole, you end up inside the head of John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. And that's genius. Yeah. But the whole movie is way weirder than I remembered. It's way stranger. Like his girlfriend is looking after. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, there's no sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. Even your main character is a puppeteer. Yeah. Which works as a, a motif, but the, you're right. The problem is his girlfriend's got a pet monkey, and yeah. he works on the seventh and a half floor. floor. Yeah. <clears throat> and to me, in order for it. Because it is a it is a good film. Mm-hmm. I just found it hard going, because there was no sense of normalcy first yeah. for this strange event mm-hmm. to seem strange. Because why wouldn't there be a hole where you walk down and and then entered the mind of a, an actor? Mm-hmm. Uh, because everything else in this movie is really weird. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, I think it could have benefited with, like you say, having some normalcy, but. Um, I it's, still love it. It's a very strange film. It's mm-hmm. stranger than I remember. I remember. I remember the overall conceit of the film. Yeah. The, the idea of holding to, and then watching it, I just like everything is weird. Mm. For sure. I mean, there is a lot of stuff that's there for the sake of it. You could just strip it out. But to me, that didn't detract too much from my recollection of it. Was that it was um, a clever film, but it was quite slow and boring. But rewatching it. I loved every minute of it, and there are there are issues. I agree that those are issues, but it didn't detract for me. I wanted I wanted to get to the Malkovich Malkovich bit because yeah. I was like, that's genius. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember being like, everyone has a weird quirk. Yeah, everyone, and that sat wrong with me because it it took the fantastic element almost out of it for me. Because Things that detracts for me. Is the fact that there's no likable characters in no, it, no. and the fact that Maxine, played by um, Catherine Keener, is awesome in everything. Um, She—I don't think that she deserves a happy ending, but she gets one. <laughs> Favorite scenes? I think Malkovich, Malkovich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the scene where he gets punched at near the start. The little girl comes up. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Like, it wasn't that I hated it. Mm-hmm. It was just really difficult for me to sit down and be like, okay, I don't know why. Well, I think you've explained why. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. The, you get that feeling yeah, where yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. why isn't this clicking with me like it did when I was... See, that that was my experience the time before I watched it. And that was what I was expecting when I was going to watch it this time. But I didn't have that experience. Very strange that we've basically switched roles. Yeah. You haven't found a hole into my head or something, have you? God, dread. <laughs> you don't want to get there. <laughs> dread to think. My favourite scene was when, um, at, towards the end, when Cameron Diaz was chasing Catherine Keener through John Malkovich's subconscious and they was going through all different kind of me- memories that he had. And just the way that they filmed that I thought was genius. They sort of reused that for um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which same writer, obviously, and it's got a lot of similarities. Um, not just uh, in the script, but also Again, I the way it's that used. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of same themes. One of my favourite moments was when Malkovich comes out of his own subconscious onto the was it the New Jersey Turnpike where yeah. they drop, um, 
and he's had an argument with John Cusack and he's storming away and then a car drives by and there's no way that the passengers in the car could possibly know that that was John Malkovich even so they drive by and the one guy leans out yells Malkovich you suck and lobs a, a can at his head yeah that's I don't know if you know this but like, that was a member of the, the crew <laughs> the, the, the guy that loves the oh, yeah. loves the can I think it was a cameraman because they'd had members of the crew driving past for yeah. ages and none of them could hit him. Okay. And the cameraman was like, I can do it. And I'm like, okay, then first go, he just drives fast, smacks the can <laughs> off his head. Oh, I, I heard that. but I, I, Yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it's funny. I just, and his reaction I was great just as well. I could just him standing there being like, yeah. missed, missed. Because <laughs> you know, sooner or later, this is going to hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it was a good sport about it as well, I think. Yeah. John Malkovich, yeah. Can you imagine it being like being, I don't know, John Travolta or something? Yeah. Sure. No, you can't because. I th- I remember reading somewhere that when they were pitching it around, one of the studio executives read the script and said to them, "Look, why isn't this being Tom Cruise?" Yeah. And they were like, "Okay, see you later." Yeah. It just it just wouldn't that work. would be horrifying in its own way, wouldn't it? It would. It <laughs> <laughs> truly would. Yeah. But even even the the end bit that I really like where they're. Um, Cameron Diaz and Catherine Keener are going through his uh, his subconscious through his, his through his memories, and you know they've got like a a young version of Malkovich who's pissed himself on the bus, and all the kids are making fun of him. And, you know you've got to give credit to Malkovich for you know just being like, all right, okay, whatever. You do you do what do you want yeah. to do? Because I mean, as far as I'm aware, he, he didn't, didn't ask them to change anything. He didn't think he was big enough. No, but in t- just in terms of the, them making fun of him, I'm not aware that they, he no. asked them to change anything. No. So when I was doing research for Bean John Malkovich, I came across this weird fan theory that connects Bean John Malkovich to Get Out. Have you seen Get Out? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there's this theory that Get Out is actually a secret standalone sequel to Bean John Malkovich. What? Mm-hmm. So the theory is, because Catherine Keene is in both of them, the theory is that Maxine from being John Malkovich is the same character as Missy in Get Out. All right. Both played by Catherine Keener. So being John Malkovich ends with uh, Maxine and Lottie's Cameron Diaz and Catherine Keener's daughter, who was fathered by John Malkovich. Yeah. In the child subconscious, John Cusack's character is trapped because he, he tried to go back into Malkovich, yeah. but the, the gateway closed at midnight. He didn't get there in time, and so he went into the next what would you, vessel? Did they yeah. call them vessels? He goes into the next vessel, who was the daughter who uh, Catherine Keener was pregnant with at the time. Yeah. So he's trapped in this girl's subconscious. Once the the gateway, would you, would you call it the the door, portal. the portal into Malkovich had closed, they sought uh, different mind transplant experimentation and they came across uh, Roman Armitage, her husband in Get Out, who's a neurosurgeon. The theory goes on that Lottie, Cameron Diaz's character, entered the body of Roman's son Dean Armitage and then Maxine and Lottie's daughter Emily, fathered by John Malkovich, combined with the spirit of John Cusack's Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Following. Yeah. Living in his own quote unquote sunken place, which is all part of Get Out. Yeah. Rose up to become Rose Armitage in Get Out. Same character. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Following. Yeah. Okay. Um, and all these people, Dean Armitage, Rose Armitage, who is in fact Emily from Being John Malkovich, Missy, who is Maxine from Being John Malkovich, and then Roman's son Dean is Lottie. From being John Malkovich, Cameron Diaz's character. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's that's the theory. Um, 
and when that was proposed to Jordan Peele, the director of Get Out, yeah. he said it was never conceived as a sequel, but he really liked the idea, and he talked to it talked it over with Spike Jones, and they both really dug the <laughs> That's connection. So cool. Um, and so they they said that you know between themselves they they're happy to say that those films exist within the same continuity. Excellent. Which adds a, another I love, dimension. I love when people accept like accept fan theories. Yeah, yeah, I just love it. It's like yeah, cool. And then further to that, Jordan Peele, Get Out's director, said he he would be interested in casting John Malkovich in a Get Out sequel just to bring it all full circle. So good lord, we will see. We'll see. I yeah. mean, some of, some of those things are a bit of a stretch. I don't know a sequel to Get Out would, would be a bit with the with the buzz that like you, yeah. you can imagine it. So mm-hmm. I think um, Catherine Keener's character that that makes sense. You could you could make that work. Yeah, I think all the all the other characters that they're trying to force into. Oh, yeah, oh, well, yeah, yeah. This character became this character, and this character became this character. And that might be stretching a bit too much, but I, I like the idea that those two exist yeah. in the same universe. That's kind of cool. Anyway, final thoughts on Malkovich being John Malkovich. Like it's enjoy it's it's a good film. I can see it's a good. I'm, I just think it was at the t- that time I watched it. I was not in the right yeah. frame of mind to accept. I think that's a good. I think it is one of those films where you have to be in a certain frame of mind to enjoy it. Because it's it is good. Mm-hmm. I can see it's good. It's just it was mm-hmm. it was difficult for me, which certainly wasn't the case the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. I'll certainly give it another go because it's so unique. Yeah, it's different. So going from some retrospectives of some classic films to some reviews of some more current films, there's a film that was recommended to us by a writer director. An actor, Alexander Cooper, called Sandow. Sandow follows the career highs and lows of forgotten strongman Sandow the Magnificent and his protege. Like I said, it was written and directed by and starring uh, Alexander Cooper on a tiny, tiny budget of £25,000, which for a period film is nothing. <laughs> Um, but they've really made every penny count in this film. The locations that they've chosen, I don't know how they managed to snag them on such a low budget. The locations are great, the costumes are great. When you watch low budget period short films, often they're very cheap looking costumes from higher shops, yeah. like theatre yeah, uh, production clothes and that kind of thing, which look fine on the stage, but on camera don't look so good. In this film, the costumes look brilliant as do a lot of the locations and they've they've come up with some fairly innovative ways of getting around some location issues as well. It's plagued by a couple of technical issues unfortunately. They could possibly could have done with a bit of redubbing and a better sound mix and maybe a tighter edit but there's only so far you can stretch a budget. Exactly I mean especially when you've got you know it's written directed and starring mm-hmm. that's a lot of work as it well. It is yeah yeah. It's a lot of work I mean what's your, what's your favourite scene from um, there's a six minute uncut take which is impressive in itself um, around a dinner scene which, yeah in Own Worst Enemy there's, um, it's a five and a half minute scene I think I only got two clean takes of it it's so tough to get that out and it was it's not like a, a walk in the park scene either it's a a very confrontational scene so everything's got to work yeah yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It, and it does and the actors in the scene are brilliant. Um, there's loads of stuff that's very impressive about it. Just the way that they've stretched the budget. Basically, the filmmaker in you is is, is a bit jealous of. <laughs> I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'm yeah, impressed. Yeah. Let's yeah. use the word impressed, Phil. There's no jealousy involved. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm impressed. Like to pull off a, a normal 
kind of a contemporary set film on twenty five thousand is yeah. tough. To pull off a period film on that budget, congrats to you because I don't know how you've done it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yes, if you'd like, so to how can you? How can you watch this? Uh, well, you're on Amazon Prime. If you'd like to check it out, um, I am on Amazon Prime. Uh, I will be checking it out. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, just search Sandow. If you're not on Amazon Prime, if you head over to SandowTheMovie.com, you can rent it and buy it. I think. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the director, follow what he's up to. He's on Twitter as at AlexanderCooper81. And I believe I saw that um, they won an award at an Italian sporting film festival. That's cool. I'll definitely be checking it out. Nice one. Yeah, well, you might enjoy it because you're into wrestling and stuff. It is sort of the history of kind oh. of the, the whole strongman. Well, strongman and protege, I'm thinking like La Strada, like Fellini, mm-hmm. which again, I've only seen a couple of times. But what kind of rating would you give it? For the film, I'd give it um, a three, but I think for its ambition and innovative uh, approach to some of the scenes, I'd I'd probably give it a four, to be honest, when you consider the budget and what they've done. It's such an interesting subject matter as well. Yeah, it's it's not sort of the typical thing where, you know, he's trying to kind of piggyback on the back of... uh, Something really popular, like, oh, it's following an MMA fighter, because that was popular for a couple Mm -hmm. of years back when it... No, it's like... Circus strongmen and like sideshow things, you know, they're not really about anymore. No, no, you know, it all, it all evolved into like wrestling and mm-hmm. then pro wrestling and that kind of stage show. It's kind of become, absolutely, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worth checking out. So, Sandow, right? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the latest film from the stupidly good Coen brothers. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is an anthology of six western tales connected by nothing more than the broad western genre and a color plate in a book that sets up each instalment. Funded and released by Netflix, this is Cohen's first digital movie and the first to premiere online with just a token theatrical run to ensure that it's eligible for Oscars. But is it any good? What did you uh, think? Well, there was a there was, there was a rumour gone round mm-hmm. that it's supposed to have been a TV series. That isn't true. That I was just going to say, that isn't true. Mm-hmm. But I can certainly see where the rumours come from. Yeah. Well, where the rumour came from was that people, when they announced it, they didn't specifically say it was a, a film. They said it was a collection of Western stories. So, and yeah, people jumped to the assumption. It's Netflix, and the Coen brothers, it. being the Coen brothers, thought, didn't that's funny. Yeah. We won't bother to tell anybody yeah. until it was um, released at a film festival earlier this year. So everyone was anticipating a, a TV series. They ended up with a film. I'm not sure where, whether that's good or bad, but... Uh, it does kind of feel like it would have been better as a, t- a series of shorts rather than Vignettes. a collection. Yeah, because it it doesn't feel doesn't feel even. Like some of them are, some of them feel short shorts, mm-hmm. and then there's a couple of them that could have been fleshed out. For sure, when it first started, I loved every second of the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. The Ballad entire... of Buster Scruggs being the first instalment, not just the. The film, yeah. the first instalment is called The Ballad of the Sisters. I could have watched the whole film about that guy. So funny. Yeah. But then it, to me, it, it just it lost its way. Weird. To me, that was the most Coen Brothers of yeah, yeah. all the. Mm-hmm. Like the rest of them, well, obviously that uh, it, it felt like a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and some of the rest of them, I mean, some of them I I I got things out of. I think the one that I got the most out of was Meal Ticket. That was my least favourite one. One of my least favourite ones. It's, 
I just think it's an indictment on entertainment. For sure. Oh, no, totally. Totally. I mean, I'm going to like it because, you know, they were doing speeches mm-hmm. from yeah. Shelley. And... One of my problems with the film is that it's almost like they couldn't figure out how to end each one, so they just killed somebody. <laughs> yeah, each yeah. one ends with somebody dying. Yeah, it, it, by, by about the end of the... By the end of uh, the second one, near Algodons, is that are we going to go with that? Yeah, let's go with that. <clears throat> as soon as I realised um, that somebody was going to die, I was like, every and so I just I was just waiting for people to die. Yeah, apart from the very last one, I'm pretty sure that's how each one ends. Well, that's they, how they resolve. They're each already thing. dead in the last one. That's the road to hell mm-hmm. or the afterlife. Yeah, in my opinion, anyway. That's so what I'm gonna. That's what I know. I'm gonna pull out a moat. But yeah, it did. It, to me, it felt like it was. It started off really strong and just kind of ran out of steam and almost yeah. ran out of budget because that last one is set almost entirely in a stagecoach with no exteriors. That's pretty what, much. That's why I think it's the road to hell. And it just, but it doesn't. It feels like a cheap film. Like yeah. I could have done that. Yeah. I couldn't have done the first instalment. Trying to sound too bad. <laughs> I could have done. No, but the, yeah, you know, there's, there was nothing particularly outstanding. In terms of the way that one was filmed, or necessarily written. Um, no, where was the plot? Yeah, where was the plot to near Algodon? That's a joke. That's a joke. Mm-hmm. He is a sketch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I, I would have watched the whole movie of um, the first segment with Tim Blake Nelson's character. I think it. the girl who got rattled could have been a decent little tragic romance. Yeah. That could have been a three-act movie of him mm. meeting someone. That felt really long. That that was probably the, that is the, the longest, longest one. one. Um, but I think it could have been a movie, mm-hmm. like a proper. Yeah. Instead, I was just like, well, one of them's going to die mm-hmm. in a terrible way because so far everyone's died in a terrible way. Because mm-hmm. I thought that was probably the best acted one as well to me. Um, but again, there was more to bite into. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't think any of them were bad. I don't think they were bad. It looked gorgeous. It looked amazing, yeah. Um, it's almost like they had six ideas for films and got, wrote the first act and then couldn't be bothered to finish them off. So they, they were like, right, okay, so we'll shoot them, then we'll come, we'll pull them all together and that's an anthology film. Yeah, I liked all of them. I didn't love any of it. I loved the first one and it literally progressively got worse. When it got to the last one, I was just losing the will to live almost. I certainly rewatch it. And I have had the experience before where the first viewing of a Coen Brothers film isn't necessarily the greatest. So going into it a second time, I might get a lot more out of it. But what we normally do is we rate films. Instead of stars, we go with Kahuna Burgers. Kahuna Burgers? Yeah. That's a really fine burger. Enjoyed enjoyed more when you wash it down with a refreshing beverage. Yes. (laughs) Um, So uh, if I was being kind, I'd give it two and a half. Out of? uh, Five. Okay. Um, This is the thing I was going to ask you. Yeah, five, How could five. you only have half a Kahuna burger? Oh well, if um, Samuel L. Jackson's eating the other half. Oh, there you go then. I'd imagine once I rewatch it, I'll have a different opinion on it. But first impressions, disappointed. I think I liked it more than you. I'd give yeah. it a three. Okay. I think I liked it more than you. But my expectations were nowhere okay. or nothing because mm-hmm. it's like, well, it's on Netflix and Netflix are going through this thing where, oh, they've got a name. Uh, yeah. They can't seem to get this thing made. Let's hire them and then make a big stink about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it Mowgli? Mo- Mowgli? Have they bought that? They bought that because oh, right. is it Warner Brothers don't want to well, it's put it out too close, so close Absolutely, to the Disney yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. They bought that. It's out in you know, a couple of weeks. Okay, I didn't realise that. But yeah, 
Someone else descri- described um, Netflix to me as a dumping ground. I think it's unkind to call Netflix a dumping ground. I think they're still in that phase where they're like... Because they're transitioning from having other people's things mm-hmm. on there to having their own stuff, they have, they've got to keep trying to find the next thing. Yeah. They've got to, they've got to create good relationships with like the Clone Brothers and... Um, Andy Circus and whoever else so that if they've got a project it's not like well we can't get it made here Yeah, let's go to Netflix it's more like Netflix are good to us mm-hmm. let's go there and it's not like this, this isn't terrible I mean you may think so but I didn't think I don't think it's terrible. terrible my opinion is I'm disappointed with it I'll see you in 20 years and we'll see what you think yeah I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's their best work uh, far from it I probably should have rewatched it before we we talked about it, but um, first impressions, yeah, a bit disappointed. But like I said, that's not uncommon for me watching a Coen Brothers film. I can think of countless films of theirs where I was kind of what the hell. And then when you watch it, knowing what to expect, it's a completely different experience, and you appreciate for what it is, not what you, ex- what you were expected. Yeah. So another film that was recommended to us was Squirrel, uh, which is about a couple who get lost in the woods and that aided by a couple of strange people uh, who are part of a sort of a, a cult of sorts who used to harvest a crimson maple syrup that has healing properties. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as things tend to happen with cults, particularly people you find in the woods, strangeness ensues. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, the basis of this film. Certainly the last time I met a cult in the woods. <laughs> but that's for another time. <laughs> uh, this is directed by Matt Glass and Jordan Wayne Long. And I have to say, I thought it was awesome. Really liked it. I'm not sure what the budget was, but another film where they'd pretty much put every penny on the screen. It's very well crafted, fairly original. There's a few shades of um, story items stolen from the Rocket Horror Show, but on the whole... Hey, if you're going to steal, steal for something, do absolutely. not the show, man. It's funny, it's sinister, it's creepy, it's quirky, but it's not too quirky. Sounds like the Adams Family. <laughs> um, the score's great. And it's really well acted. But the thing that stood out for me the most was the cinematography and the editing. Um, to me, those are kind of telltale signs of a low-budget film. But it was just brilliantly shot. It's graded really, really nicely. Um, and the editing's brilliant. And the one sequence that stuck out the most was um, the opening sequence, which is kind of a flashback. And it's got one of the, the best uses of a drone shot that I've seen in a low-budget film. I imagine drone shots are bloody everywhere with the, oh, with the mate, price mate, They are pissing me off so much. Every single bloody low-budget feature or short has got at least a dozen drone shots wedged like a sweeping in. sweeping and panoramic shot. But it's, like, it's, no. It doesn't aid the story at all. It doesn't do anything. It's just like, Did it? Because they could. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'd be so guilty of that, though. It'd be like, <laughs> I understand it, but it's got to the point where it doesn't make your film look like it's got higher production values it just looks like oh your mate's got a drone <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, however and that isn't the case here that is not the case here now the the opening sequence is particularly the use of the, the drone and the, the editing is just amazing and then when I went to look at who who the different people were involved it turned out that the the editing the cinematography the music all the things that I really liked the directing and the writing was all done by this one guy called Matt Glass Normally, that's not common for people to do everything on a low-budget film or no-budget film. You can normally tell things aren't strong. Someone's been stretched. But this 
fucking guy. <laughs> he's great at everything. And I'm not, you know... You're not usually a, a jealous person, but I can <laughs> see the vein in your throat. Just <laughs> Like, you you know, okay, do do one thing really well, but he, he does everything really well. Um, do you know how long, how long this took to make? I have no idea. I, I've tried to I'm look trying to, I'm some... trying to give you, like, a, a beacon of hope. Oh, let, let's say it took him 20 years. To <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, no, no, these guys do. He, inv- he had to invent drones for that yeah, shot. Absolutely. In fact, it was so long ago, he hired a helicopter to do it. <laughs> No, no, these guys do great. And the the other thing that stuck out to me was the end credit sequence, which could well be a, a standalone short film in its own right. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend it. I think it's available on Prime in America. It's as yet not available in the UK or Europe. They were very kindly sent me a screener of it, so that was cool of them. I would, you know, hope that they do release it in Europe because it probably I would. Do, I do too because you've you, you really sold me. It, it, it would fly better. Well, I don't know. It would definitely go down well in Europe anyway, particularly in England. In I'll terms of Kahuna Burgers, I'd give it a four, four out of five. Glutton you. I mean, they knocked it out of the park for sure. So if you get the chance, check it out. It's called Squirrel. Nah, this is kind of a little off the general indie film topic, but I think we oh, can weave on, it in. It's very off topic. But I think we I can weave it in. you into it. No, 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 no. So, Bohemian Rhapsody, a film that was originally directed by indie film graduate Brian Singer yep. of um, The Usual Suspects fame and before that, Public Access, which was his first foray into indie filmmaking, which is really good. How, how are we going to put this politely? He was... Uh, he, he, was, was, he was let go. <laughs> he was let go two weeks before the end of filming and British director Dexter Fletcher was brought in yeah. to sort of so wrap everything up and see it through to the end. Finish it up and that kind of thing. So, I mean, that was a big... St- if you want to know more about that, I'm sure you can look it up. That's a different thing, but... Uh, yeah, it's, it, it, that's not really what we're here to discuss. It's such a weird situation to get that that far through filming and then be like oh <laughs> he's clearly very proud of the film because he's promoting it on his instagram but he hasn't sort of been invited to be involved with the actual press tour yeah and i probably shouldn't laugh but i have noticed a lot of the, the pictures that he's put on his instagram scenes from the film and stuff a lot of the comments are well yeah. done dexter fletcher yeah that's uh, <laughs> it is it is funny because the internet are full of people yeah. who are gits mm-hmm. to be polite. So we, we, we'll never know. We'll never know how much Brian Singer did and how much Texas Flash did. So we'll have to put all that aside about who. In I terms know, of, the, I know it was filmed directors. first. We are, yes. What is Bohemian Rhapsody? Is it's not really the, a biopic of Freddie Mercury. It's not really a biopic of Queen. Oh, it's a, it's it's a, it's a stage of their career. The film would like you to believe. Mm-hmm. It is the majority of their career. Okay. So we'll go with that. That's what the film is. A lot of people are saying it's a Freddy biopic, which it isn't. It isn't. It is and it isn't. It, it isn't because it doesn't contain any of his life prior to him joining the band at age 24. So there's none yeah. of his young life and there's none, none of his life beyond 85. When did it start? Oof. 70, early 70s? Yeah, it would have been early 70s. So it's a 15-year period, anyway. So it's not really a biopic of Freddie Mercury. Yeah, it's true, it's true. That's true. I'm just... The film would like you to believe. <laughs> yeah, the reality is it's not. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the reason we're talking about this is we've tried to weave it in because of the indie film connections, but Paul... I'm a Queen super fan. Queen is your band. Yeah, Queen of, Queen of my band. And I'm a big fan of Queen. I like the music, but I wouldn't 
I don't know their story inside out. I wouldn't be able to tell you the order of their releases of albums and singles and stuff, which I'm sure you probably could. I could, but I, these days I'd have to think about it, but I could. <laughs> There, um, was a, there was a time I could have rattled off everything. So I'd say you you were fairly invested in the band Queen. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, um, Whereas I'm a, a fan of the music. Saw them last year. You did, yeah. Well, no. Let's let's be fair. You saw half of Queen. Yeah. You've seen two members of Queen pret- pretending to be Queen. Anyway, let's jump in. Did you like it? I liked it. I didn't love it. I have to say I loved every single second of it. And that's uh, perfectly fine. I. I I think the reason for that is you're the intended audience. Exactly. I am not. I, I'm. I'm not anywhere near as invested as you are, and so I was able to enjoy the film. I enjoyed it. I just think, to me, because it is a snapshot, mm-hmm. um, it has to invent some things that didn't happen. A lot of people have said that have criticised a film for that. I don't think that's valid criticism. Everybody that, that has, has to, to happen. That. that has to happen. Everybody. You have to you have to create tension in mm. some way. I just think the way they chose to do it was very strange. Mm. Let's talk about the beginning of the film first, okay. because otherwise, yeah. the beginning of the film was the weakest part to me because it goes directly into sm- into smile, yeah. which is fine. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you know, they do Queen One. Mm-hmm. You never actually see them release Queen One. No. And the next thing they're doing is a Night of the Opera. Mm-hmm. I believe that's four, three or four albums later. My problem with that is the film doesn't feel like there is any struggle for the band to become great. Mm-hmm. Those first two albums, although I love them, yeah. did not do particularly well. Mm-hmm. I think it could have used that to say, yeah, they, they worked really hard. There are some great songs on those mm-hmm. albums. Seven Seas of Waves on that first album. You're right. It, it was kind of in the in the context of the film. It was kind of given to them, handed to them on a plate. Yeah, and that really bothers me because it makes them seem like oh, it makes them almost feel not manufactured, not like a lot of today's pop music. Almost like they looked into it. Yeah. The other part of it that I had problems with was the parts near the end mm-hmm. where the band dissolve because Freddie goes off to do his two solo albums. Yeah. Never happened. Mm-hmm. Brian May was already doing a solo album, and Roger Taylor was on his second solo mm-hmm. album. So like, there are ways you can still create yeah. conflict without yeah. doing that. Um, I actually thought Rami Malik did really, really well. I really thought he did well. I've only actually seen him in like Night at the Museum two. Oh, yeah. um, pretty sure I saw an episode of Mr. Robot. Thought this is amazing, mm-hmm. and then was like, but it's Never depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I remember him from a, a sitcom with. Um... Michael Rappaport called um, The War at Home. He played as sort of like a, I think he was the neighbour, very camp character. I'm, that's the first thing I saw him in. He was great in that. He's a great character actor. Yeah, um, I, I was very impressed. I mean, obviously, you had the whole Sasha Baron Cohen was supposed to do the role, and then that didn't happen. And yeah. people were like, but Sasha Baron Cohen is perfect for the role. And the more I think about it, the more it's like, yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen would have been great for like the debauchery bits and yeah, I'm making that ridiculous. Sure. Like, because we've never seen him play a character based on a real person. It's true. But he might have turned. I can only see it becoming a caricature, a very yeah, yeah over the top the comedy character. The more it's, yeah, but Rami Malek did amazing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, and the other guys were. Great too. I, like, I would say I, I still maintain they found a time machine, went back, kidnapped for a man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I would say three fourths of the casting of, of Queen were amazing, spot on. I think um, 
the guy who was John Deacon, he nailed all the the mannerisms of him perfectly. Yeah. From playing the bass just to his kind of smirking behaviour in the background. Yeah, it's like that's what Deacon was like. He's yeah. Like... And but you're right, Brian May was just spot on. Yeah, great impression. Like... I don't know what was happening with the casting of Roger Taylor though. That was a bit of vanity the... casting on Roger Taylor. Yeah, the problem, the problem with because obviously like Brian May and Roger Taylor were yeah. involved, otherwise they wouldn't have got the rights to the music and therefore couldn't really make the film. Mm-hmm. And it does feel to me like they had their edges sanded off. Yeah. Like you say that, and a lot of people have said that, but there were an awful lot of jokes at Roger Taylor's expense in there. There was a lot of him being a womanizer, but like you never see any of it. Freddie Mercury wasn't the only one having wild coke parties and stuff mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> like this stuff happened, and yeah, yeah you want to you want to say oh Freddie's going off the rails. So why don't you show the rest of the band having fun and mm-hmm. going a bit crazy? And then Freddie going even further, because mm-hmm. that pushes it from, all right, it was the eighties, to, this is destructive. Yeah. Because it comes across like, well, we've got to get home to our wives. You mm-hmm. know, we're we're upstanding moral members of society, and then you never see them again for yeah. 20, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that that strikes me as as May and Taylor being a bit, well, I don't want that getting out. Even sort of, you know, there's a bit of protection around Freddie as well because you know. Not all of his stuff was laid out for everyone to see. Yeah, of course, but at a certain point, it does come across like... I mean, that that apology, which, again, can't have happened because they didn't break up. Mm -hmm. That grovelling without you, I'm not very good, pretty much, is what he says. That smacks of, we're fed up of hearing how great Freddie Mercury was, Mm -hmm. can you please talk about how great Queen are? I can understand that. I can understand it because they're all amazing they all, musicians. They are, they, and they're they great all number ones. They are the mm-hmm. only band to completely go into the lyric hall of fame. Yeah, they're they're all amazing. Don't get me wrong, but I think the, the film to me felt like felt like a greatest hits, which it, of course it was going to be, but it it, but it it was less than I thought. You know, when we were watching the trailers, and yeah, because you just they're going to talk about how they wrote this. God, this, this is just going to be like every scene is going to be how they wrote, a, why they wrote a song or. How they wrote a song was oh for God's sake, and then but it, that wasn't what the film was. Like. No, it wasn't. But my real tiny nitpick is Will Rock You. Okay, it's in the wrong time period. Okay, he should still be long-haired, mm-hmm. leotard Freddie yeah. Mercury, whereas he's pretty much Live Aid Freddie Mercury, mm-hmm. like the look. The so they've definitely moved it in the time frame. Yeah, I mean these these are things these that things don't bother ha- me at all. These <laughs> things happen, yeah. but. Like, We Will Rock You is not a small song mm-hmm. at all. If you want to do that with, like, I Want to Break Free or something, no problem because it's a great song, but it's not an anthem from around the world that was played in a lot of their, all of their concerts before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very frustrating. You could have put that before and had, had Brian have a bit more of a presence in the movie other than those two yeah. He has two scenes where he's like, I'm going to go home to my wife, mm-hmm. and then he creates We Will Rock You. It, re- it feels like a very good adaption of their Wikipedia page. <laughs> I'm going to nitpick a lot, mm-hmm. because like you say, they are my band. But for a wider audience, they're going to love it. Yeah. I loved Straight Outta Compton, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm not a huge NWA fan. Mm-hmm. I like them, but like somebody who's a massive fan would be like, that was wrong, that was wrong, and that was wrong. Well, at this point... I know what they got right, mm-hmm. and that's the easy stuff for me to be like obvious, right? Now it wasn't obvious because casting those people that look that way mm-hmm. and act that way isn't easy. Mm-hmm. Filming that live aid scene isn't easy, mm-hmm. 
it's it's a it's a good it's a in fact it's a great film. It's just for a super fan, it has those things where you're like, that could so easily have been avoided. Mm. I'd, to me, it was a celebration of creativity that you, you just don't get in music oh, these no. days. It was the, just the way that they celebrated the, their performance skills, their songwriting ability. That's what made me happy, and that's what I, I really got out of the film, what I really enjoyed about it. I don't care that We Will Rock You was in the wrong place. The fact that they had that scene at all was great. The fact I mean, It might not even been constructed like that, but I love the fact that they they are celebrating proper musicians writing original songs. Yeah, it's just looking at it and going, oh, because... The concert scenes they shoot, even for little concerts, yeah. I know what concerts they were. Mm-hmm. I know that lighting rig they used, and it's like that detail is so perfect yeah. that when you get a tiny thing wrong, it mm-hmm. stands out like a huge thing. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about book adaptation, like the, the most recent one, Ready Player One. A lot of people are upset about the things they changed in that. Oh, there are tons of things. I, I, I love the book and I love the film. In fact, I probably They're love the film things. more than the book. Um, and they had to change stuff to make it work for the film, and it it works. And I, I guess I don't have like a great frame of reference of the chronology of everything within Queen, but even if I did, I'm not sure how much it would bother me. It's great. It's just not perfect, and because of me being the fan that I am. Yeah, I guess it depends what you want out of it. <clears throat> I think for most people, people would dig oh, it, and I think I've go seen. Go and see this movie. Like I'm not. As long as I'm just telling you. As a super nitpicker, mm-hmm. like you're gonna come across some weird Queen fan like me who's like, "Well, that never happened, didn't it?" And I hate people like that. Yeah, it annoys me that I'm being a person like that. I but think... as I say, it gets everything so so right in the broad strokes. That, yeah, that the smaller stuff is the only stuff you can point at and go. Yeah, I don't know. I just I thought for a biopic. Oh yeah, fantastically well. They're really good. The one that sticks out for me is Chaplin. I'm a big big Chaplin fan never saw it and it's such a fucking mess because it can't decide what it wants to focus on I know people talking about Bohemian Rhapsody not going far enough with the party stuff but it it decided to focus on a couple of things it did that yeah. really well yeah you are right with if, Chaplin if, it was just it was a bit of this it was a bit of that focus on his movies or focus on his private life keep a focus on something it was just too much of everything it was just a mess Bohemian Rhapsody to me felt like it, it yes, was laser even focused. though they skirted over some things and might have toned down other things they knew what aspects that they wanted to tell and they ran with them and it was very succinct and well told yeah from that I, point I will I'm never going to argue with that on that they were like we're going to tell this story you know people are like oh you know he, he didn't tell the band he had AIDS until blah blah and it's like yeah, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. They need that because mm-hmm. if you did, if you leave that out and say three years later he did this or mm-hmm. two, people are gonna be like, well, he didn't mention it. Like, mm-hmm. there's gonna be people that say you didn't go into his private life enough. Well, guess what? You don't know that much about his private life because he was a very private person off stage. Um, <laughs> That's almost a different movie in a way. Yeah, um, you, you you could do a Freddie Mercury movie. You could do yeah. a, a movie about Freddie Mercury and just have. The fact that he was in Queen as a completely incidental fact within that movie. Yeah. Oh, and the the, the amalgamation of the the EMI record, boss. I was mm-hmm. just like, oh god. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I was just head banging a car to court. Yeah. All right. Fine, Mike Myers. Will you just piss off? That's a bit that, on the nose. Like. That, yeah. That that was the only time I was kind of like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That was a groan at that that yeah. line. Yeah. 
And that that happened. They didn't have a massive fight over. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. But that recreation of Live Aid is ridiculous. You can you can sit there, and you can watch that footage side by side, Mm -hmm. and it's nigh on exact, which is insane. Mm -hmm. So I personally would highly recommend it. I'd give it a. Going out of five, I'd give it four Kahuna Burgers. Yeah, I, like, I, although I've moaned a lot, they're tiny things mm-hmm. that I think you'll get over them. Yeah, I think if, when you rewatch it, which you inevitably will, I think you'll dig it. Just let the little things go, and yeah, exactly. And I will eventually. It's just like, oh, I wish this had happened. Yeah, I think considering what biopics traditionally are and the mess that they normally are, I think that for that alone, whether you know, the there might be some inconsistencies in the timeline just being such a solid well-made well-told story five out of five no doubt about it and it's doing really well so it's doing insanely well yeah 8.4 at the minute on imdb so it's 123rd highest rated film of all time box office is doing really well it's day came out Mm -hmm. and uh it's it was pretty busy and i thought well how long has it been out now yeah because it took me a while to have the time to go and I saw the first screening in the morning, 11 o'clock screening, and I'd say that was probably a third full, it's which is for, for an 11 o'clock in the morning screening of a film that's been out for a month. That's pretty good. Well, Paul, thank you so much for jumping in. Anytime. Being here, joining in. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It certainly has. I'm uh, not going to say for who. But it <laughs> <has>. <laughs> I've enjoyed having you here. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thanks for putting up with um, all my... Uh, filmmaking endeavours that you've been involved in and thanks for never let, a problem was a pleasure. letting me almost and like you. I say one day I might get online yeah again if people want to contact you PM Barrow on Twitter mm-hmm. PM Barrow 5 at gmail dot mm-hmm. com on email okay well, and if, my, maybe I'll get you to speak something on my radio play you want me to be in your radio uh, I, may, I, I may have to drag you into do something <laughs> maybe I, I should wrap your mouth up and speak to a microphone somewhere <laughs> I think if you need people, I'll find people for you rather than... Oh, right, right. So you'll do me that favour, but you won't let me wrap your mouth up in videotape, maybe, and see if you pass out. Well, um, God, okay. <laughs> down. Oh, I'm maybe, damn it. Maybe I should discourage you from... Uh... <laughs> Too late now. Anyway, next podcast, we'll be talking about uh, the final stretch of filming at our location... And because Christmas is just around the corner, we'll also be talking about our favourite alternative and indie Christmas films to watch. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, send us questions, recommendations for future shorts or crowdfunding campaigns. Uh, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at Filmopolis, uh, Instagram, Facebook and YouTube if you search Indie Filmopolis. You can find us there, contact us through that. Uh, if you want to learn more about Own West Enemy, you can go to the website ownwestenemymovie.com. Twitter, we're Own West Enemy UK. Facebook, just search Own West Enemy Movie. If you want to get in contact with me, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at film underscore maker, P H I L M underscore M A K E R. Uh, and if you're not subscribed already, please subscribe to the podcast. We're available on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, and Spotify. So until next time, thanks very much, and thanks again, Paul. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. <laughs>